Welcome to the OTA Podcast, your home for conversations with leading experts in orthopedic trauma. Please note that the views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Orthopedic Trauma Association or its members. Hello, I'm Samir Mehta, Chair of the OTA Education Committee, and welcome to the OTA Podcast. This series of episodes is a replay of the April 2nd OTA webinar entitled COVID-19, Preparedness in Orthopedic Trauma, and OTA Panel Discussion Update. In this third episode in our series discussing the current COVID-19 crisis, you will hear from our panel of orthopedic trauma leaders on alternative care models such as telemedicine, admitting these patients versus sending them home, and looking at outpatient alternatives for providing care. Joining the panel are Drs. Bill Ritchie, Ken Eagle, Tony McLaurin, Mike Gardner, Michael McKee, Hassan Meir, and Andrew Schmidt. We're going to move on to the third part of this webinar, and I want to touch base with and have some comments from uh, some of the other panelists. As some of the faculty are preparing for their onslaught, Mike McKee, you run a department in Arizona. What are you looking at in terms of admitting patients using telemedicine? How have you ramped up with that in your department? And can you provide any sort of lessons learned from a deployment perspective? So we've uh, dramatically decreased the number of patients we're seeing in the clinic. And one thing that's interesting, having been in Toronto when, when SARS happened in 2003, we really decreased the number of patients we saw in the clinic dramatically. And we were seeing patients, you know, uh, eight or 12 weeks after their initial fracture fixation. And really, it, it made surprising little difference to overall outcome. Even though we like to follow patients closely in the clinic after we nail a femur and nail a tibia, for the majority of patients, it really doesn't make a lot of difference to final outcome. And I think there's some evidence of that from Britain about how you can do a lot of these things over the phone. And we did that regularly back in Toronto back then, and very, very few negative things happened to patients in follow-up. So we're definitely trying to reduce the number of patients who come to a clinic to see us, especially if they have any risk factors for this condition, because you don't want those patients at risk in a medical environment in this kind of setting. And we've done telemedicine and telehealth. We're set up for that in the clinic. And we see only patients with active issues, open fractures with tenuous wounds, et cetera, in the clinic at the present time. As far as the hospital goes, we're, we're kind of what we call tier, tier two right now. So we're still seeing patients. Essentially, it's much easier now when we see someone in the ER to admit them, fix them, and then send them home often the same day with simple walking wounded type fractures rather than trying to send them home, bring them back. And we have the luxury of having OR time and resource during the day that has not been taken away from us yet. And so that's uh, something which is uh, we're doing now. We anticipate when we go to tier three, and we, we definitely had an increase in cases as we screen them, make sure they're clear, and then we'll send them out to get fixed elsewhere. So we have done a lot of trimming, shall we say, and expect to do more in the near future with these patients. Roman, I know you've done a lot of disaster work in the past. What are you doing at Rhode Island Hospital in terms of preparing for COVID? You know, you're close to New York, you're close to Boston. How are your preparations? What are you doing? And have you redeployed your own faculty? What have you told them in terms of their utilization in your system? Non-trauma faculty. Thanks, Samir. So a, a number of things, as many people have been doing in, in their centers, Tony was talking about, that a lot of planning has to take place long before. And so in some places had more time than others, but we've been in very significant planning for over a month and some background planning that I wasn't particularly aware of 
prior to that. In terms of what we are doing in orthopedics itself, you know, it was only a week ago that our system cut out elective surgery, although we were already paring down before then. But they really are enforcing it. And actually, our chair needs to review all cases that go to the OR that are deemed urgent or non-urgent, uh, just so they have some oversight. But in general, the non-trauma staff have been pretty supportive of the changeover. They're not seeing many patients in the office, doing a lot of telemedicine. Residents have been split into teams so that uh, we do have the silos, much like uh, you're going to do in uh, California. And that has kept teams separated, but also on the ready. So that has prepared us pretty well. In terms of our two trauma attendings, my partner, Andy Evans, and myself, we're in and around uh, most days, but we are physically separated. That way we can still maintain communication with the fellows and all the residents and make sure that the critical components get taken care of. And I think that sets us up pretty well. Right now we're preparing for the what you're experiencing in New York City right now, and they're preparing protocols for all the surrounding hospitals, how we're going to arrange for transfers and so forth. So we're prepared for that. I think one of the things that from my disaster experience that is important to address that we really haven't talked about much here, and you see it, yes, uh, orthopedic surgeons are superhuman, but they're also human. And so being aware of people who are starting to get stressed, you start, you know, some of the residents are getting worried about other things, keep having an awareness of that and addressing their concerns, communicating throughout the team up and down is really important to relieve those stress levels, particularly as it builds up, because there's still a lot of uncertainty as to how this is all going to play out. But in the end, if you keep a team concept, I think that's a critical factor to, to success. Andy, what have you been doing about education? Obviously, things like sawbones, trauma conference, fracture sign out, these sorts of things uh, are not happening nearly as consistently, if at all, our institutions sort of banned all these sort of activities. So what are you doing to educate your learners, any unique things you're using? And after Andy, uh, Hassan and Michael as well, uh, Gardner, if you can talk about what you guys are doing at your programs for educational purposes. Well, we have a new four-letter word in our vocabulary, which is Zoom. We cohorted our program into three t- three teams like, uh, like Mike described, and uh, that included the residents. So we we have six residents, uh, two fellows that rotate us uh, with us, and so we they're cohorted with the rest of the teams. And we were the first hospital in our system to do that. There's four hospitals affiliated with the University of Minnesota. We asked for for permission from because we have University of Minnesota residents at our place. So we we went to the program director there, and that was the first question was, well, what are the what are the residents who are working at home going to do for education? And so we now have three hours of lectures a day. The the hand service, uh, we have a hand fellowship. They do an hour-long Zoom conference at 11. We have another one scheduled at noon and then a, a third one at one. So the residents have three consecutive hours of education and we have the, the attendees, the, the PAs, and all the residents uh, participating. So that, that's how we've kind of done it formally. There's also a lot of informal things you can do more related to COVID. So I think I mentioned in the webinar last week, our hospital, we only have three patients in-house right now and, and it's expected to be three weeks before we hit our surge. And we've we're already about to finish our third cycle of the, the third team is on this week. 
So we've had a lot of time to prepare. But last week, they actually ran a, a code on OrthoFloor, you know, simulated code. And it was a real teaching moment for everybody just how to do that, trying to find the N95s and, and ma- maintain the droplet precautions and everything. So I think in terms of teaching for how to deal with the pandemic, there's a lot you can do too. We have donning and doffing training that's been mandatory. As I said, they're, they're simulating codes and other things around the hospital. Um, I think that's an important part of the, of the training that's sort of unique to this circumstance that I think our site has done a, done a pretty good job of. But again, when, when you have time, you know, it's, it's a lot easier. Hassan, what are you guys doing in Tampa in terms of education? Sure. So we're not doing quite as much uh, live yet, but what we already have, which a lot of programs have, is a two-year rotating curriculum that's uh, basically a sub-specialty of the week with assigned readings. So all of our residents are still doing their assigned readings. They're doing, they're all doing the same examinations on various online platforms every week. They're all watching videos based on the sub-specialty of the week. And I'm, I'm kind of, as the program director, keeping track that everyone is actually doing all this stuff. In addition, we're going to start doing a little more with Zoom and live lectures as some of our elected faculty who aren't as busy now are going to get in the game with that. And then kudos to you, Samir, and the uh, OTA Education Committee and Derek Donegan for putting together through the OTA sort of a uh, fracture conference that a lot of programs are going to be able to participate in, which I think is a great live learning experience as well. Michael, Gardner? Yeah, so we actually, I think, it's going to work out pretty well. This just materialized a few days ago, but we've got just like a, a de- on the department level, a shared calendar, and there are blocks of educational time for each uh, subspecialty. And then the service chief needs to fill in the Zoom link for people. So it's so people just click on the link for, you know, nine to 12 on Tuesday is the spine day, and, they, and they're going to be generating content however uh, they best see fit. Uh, we also just kind of informally got a group of three or four guys from around the country. And we're going to do um, just kind of grand rounds on a rotating basis for the residents of uh, just a handful of programs so we don't overwhelm the Zoom platform. And those are the main things. And then we have our, like you mentioned, we have our fracture conference and invite all the residents uh, to that. But yeah, pretty much everything on Zoom. Are you doing your fracture conference online? Are you doing that in person? You must be doing it online, I assume. Yeah, and it's it works great, you know, uh, with the share screen and the, these res, you know, the, our residents can figure out the tech side of it, so it's shared and they're passing it around and put X-rays and clinical pictures. So it's really, a, I think, a powerful way to do fracture conference in particular. All right, we're going to go to some of the Q and A on the board, and this is uh, for either the New York folks who sound like they're treating fractures, but maybe for the, those who who haven't hit the pandemic yet. What are the indications to delay less urgent fracture cases during the pandemic? I don't know, if Ken Eagle, if you want to touch on that in terms of, you know, are you delaying less urgent fracture cases? Are you operating through it? Are you treating things more conservatively right now, just because resources are scarce or limited? Well, I think people who need surgery need to get surgery bad pylons, plateaus, hip fractures. There was one patient who came in uh, who was COVID positive who had completely non-displaced femoral neck fracture that we elected after talking to him to treat non-operatively. Touchdown weight-bearing, and we'll see how he does. We're going to follow him closely, explained everything to him. Obviously, that's something I probably wouldn't do normally, but you know, there's a lot of concern about these people decompensating post-op the COVID positive patients. And like uh, Tony mentioned, I've had, I've had two patients who became COVID positive or were tested COVID positive post-op. Now, likely they, they may have picked up the, you know, the virus in the hospital, very, very, very likely. So, you know, it's changed a little bit, but I think, you know, people who need surgery, 
if you leave them alone six weeks from now, they're going to have a lot of problems that we aren't going to be able to deal with pretty well. So I think, you know, bad fractures that need surgery, need surgery. I think that, you know, fibular fracture with five millimeters of widening on stress, maybe you treat that one in a cast for now. Um, I guess that's my question is, is it's not so much the open femur or the mid shaft tibia fracture, but what about that? I'm going to call it the pseudo elective clavicle, right? The pseudo elective humeral shaft where, patient would probably maybe do better with, with surgery in terms of function, outcome, dominant arm. You know, you could treat it in a brace. You could treat it with surgery. I'm sure all of us have fixed fractures like that. Are you more inclined right now or have you, uh, maybe the folks in New York or even the folks that are anticipating a surgery, or those that have canceled elective surgeries, are you going down the more conservative route right now just so that you limit resource utilization? Well, we interestingly haven't really seen any of those fractures. I wonder if those people, you know, maybe they get I don't know what's happening to them or where they're going, but everything we've had has been like fractures we had to fix, you know, displaced ankle fractures, olecranon fractures, plateaus, things like that. So we haven't really seen many people where we had to make that decision other than, you know, an occasional distal radius fracture. But so it hasn't really come up, but I think, you know, you have to look at not just the disease, potential disease transmission, but also resource allocation. I mean, you're using, you know, if you look in the garbage at the end of a standard case, there's a lot of garbage in that room. And that's a lot of resources that were used, you know, to fix somebody's clavicle when they probably, you know, unless they're a major league pitcher would probably do just as well without it. So I think probably over the next couple of weeks, as we supposedly hit our peak, that cases like that will basically, we'll be letting them go. But like Ken said, you know, if, if they need surgery, they need surgery. So we haven't really changed our indications that significantly but we're also still being allowed to operate, unlike some of the other hospitals in the public hospital system in New York. Roman or, or uh, Andy Schmidt, have you guys seen a decrease in your trauma volume uh, as a result of some of these uh, shelter-in-place orders or stay-at-home orders? We've definitely had a decrease in Minneapolis. It's, we've seen a little bit of domestic violence, interestingly, with people being forced to stay at home. But the polytrauma has been pretty negligible at our place. We're seeing an occasional a tibia fracture, a femur fraction, of course, the geriatric fractures. But we're worried because this time of year in Minnesota, there's all this pent up. People here have been sort of quarantined all winter and the first nice weekend they're out. And, you know, they're riding their motorcycles at 90 miles an hour down the road that's still full of potholes and has a lot of debris in it. So we're actually trying to get some public service announcements out there to tell people to be careful. Be aware that in a couple of weeks, you know, you may not be able to get your femur fracture rotted and you may, may be in traction for a few weeks if it gets to the point here that it's gotten at other places. So right right now, it's just really slow. This is just more a, uh, you know, interesting factoid. I was talking to our EMS folks here in New York, and obviously, just like we're everywhere else that's, you know, COVID-infested, trauma volume has dipped down, and that makes total sense, right? People are not doing anything, and we understand that. But what's really baffling is, the number of stroke runs that the EMS is doing, the number of NSTEMI runs, the number of acute abdomen runs have all also decreased to like ridiculously low numbers. <laughs> Nobody really understands why that is. About your geriatric hip fractures, ours have gone down. They've gone down, but they're probably gone down the least. Right. Yeah, we, we, yeah. The caretakers still- are at home with them. Yeah, you know, they still trip on the way to the bathroom kind of thing. 
as we wrap up this webinar, I, I wanted to go through each of the faculty that are on. And for the people in New York, if you can give us a piece of advice or a lesson learned, and for the folks that are not in New York, but are, are either preparing or have prepared for this, some advice in terms of an offering uh, of what to do or what to uh, how to prepare for this from a systems level. So um, maybe start with Tony, one lesson learned or a couple of lesson lear lessons learned for the audience. Yeah, the first lesson is that there's nothing like preparation, but you also have to be flexible because we're all figuring this out as we go along. And so what's right, what's the right thing to do today may be the wrong thing to do tomorrow. So that's the main thing. You got to have a plan, but be willing to let your plan morph into a better plan. Bill Ritchie. Yeah, that's obviously the number one. I mean, moving target, you have to be flexible. You got to play as a team. And luckily, traumatologists are, are very accustomed to, to working as a team. And you got to be uh, prepared to, to some degree, is you know, work out of your comfort zone. You know, you're just dealing with things you haven't dealt with before. Ken Eagle, I would say if you go into the OR, treat everybody like they're COVID positive. Yes, Roman, just work with your team, and just uh, also you have to be aware of what other services in your hospital are doing, uh, so that you know you can fill in where they need you, and they'll help you when you need their help. Mike Gardner. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, I think it's important to protect ourselves in the OR, but also, yeah, it's important to remember, you know, the, the patients that still need our help and it's, you know, we're not there yet, but it'll be important not to sacrifice, yeah, the general principles that we use to, to treat fractures, even when things are looking hairy. Andy Schmidt. I would say facilitate every communication channel that you have. So we've opened up a Microsoft Teams page at our hospital. We're having daily chair conferences with leadership and we're just rolling out a battle buddy program. I think it was Roman was talking about the need, you know, and the stress that people are in. And so the concept here is that you have someone that you're with often enough that's sort of watching your back and vice versa. We're just starting that, but I, but I, that's part of it too. So just, uh, I think, communicate a lot and watch out for each other. Uh, Hassan Nir. So the OTA is full of, you know, a lot of really bright folks who are dealing with this in various systems at different stages of the pandemic already. So I would advocate, and I've learned a lot even from reading, and I'm going to plug shamelessly the OTA online discussion forum, because I think it's somewhere where we can keep the conversation going, keep posting articles, keep posting evidence, keep posting what we're doing at our each other's centers uh, to keep everybody informed. Dr. McKee, OTA president. Well, I will say I, I don't understand for sure. But uh, seriously, the, uh, the best article I've read on this, which is uh, of interest to all of us, is we circulated today. It's all OTA membership. It's in the JBJS Express form publication. It's an article from Wuhan, China, about the orthopedic surgeons, what happened to them there. 26 orthopedic surgeons got COVID-19. It talks about what these surgeons did or didn't do to avoid or to get the disease. So it's a great article about what you should do in your hospital to avoid getting this uh, condition. And I'd very much recommend that you read it. With that, I want to thank our panelists for their time this evening. And I know, and I, and I want to thank the participants. Uh, I know this is a unique time in our healthcare careers. There's a lot of unknowns. We've gotten great advice tonight. Everyone's working hard. I would encourage you to keep the discussion going. As Hassan said, the OTA discussion forum is a great place to go. There's lots of questions that have been asked on the Q&A. Those that haven't been answered live, we will 
put together answers and get them back to you. If we need content matter experts, we'll find them to get at least some reasonable answer to the group as long as we have your contact info. Thank you again to the OTA staff for putting this together. Be safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. (laughs) Good night, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, panelists. The OTA Podcast Committee would like to thank our panel, as well as the OTA leadership, for pulling together the resources to get these webinars and podcasts out to our members and others in the orthopedic community. In an upcoming episode in the COVID-19 series, we will hear from an orthopedic resident who is now working with his medicine colleagues to care for patients on the front line. Thank you for listening to the OTA Podcast, a Convey MD production. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the OTA channel wherever you get your podcast. And to learn more about becoming a member and providing the highest quality orthopedic trauma care, visit the Orthopedic Trauma Association at OTA.org.